Welcome to Wednesdays in the Word. This is a recording of our Wednesday morning Bible study held weekly at Chapel Hill and led by our Minister of Education, Casey Spiker. We walk each week verse by verse through the scriptures, one book at a time. If you wish to join us in person, we meet each week at 10 a.m. in our sanctuary. We'd love for you to join us. Now let's open up God's Word together and see what God says to us today. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Hey, we covered a whole chapter last week if you weren't here. I know you probably don't believe me, but we really did an entire chapter, chapter 4. Uh, it's a little bit outside of our, our normal realm of operations, but we did it. And today we're going to get into chapter 5. We're not going to cover a whole chapter. Today we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. Verses 1 through 7. Um, Chapter 5 is, is, is an interesting chapter. You know, we found Solomon through the course of all of this so far, and he's visited a lot of places. He's looked back on a lot of things that he's tried. He's visited the courtroom, and he's visited the marketplace, and he's visited the highways. He's told us about his time in the palace, and he's told us everything that he tried to do inside those places to fill that hole in his life, right? And so... Uh, with the exception of just a few sentences and a couple of verses thus far, he's mostly told us about the things that didn't work. He's alluded to God a time or two, and we know that ultimately that's his answer. That's where he's going. But today, he's going to shift gears a little bit, and he's, he's not going to tell us about those things. Today, he's going to tell us that he also looked in the temple. He went to the old church house and tried to find the answer to the things that were missing in his life. Now, here's the thing. Our tendency is to think, well, good for him. Finally, he went to the right place to look for what was missing in his life. And look, ultimately, it is the right place. It is the best place to go. It's where we find God. But now, you know, you can find God at home, too. You can find God in your car, too. So it doesn't have to be the church house, but at, at, at the temple was the best place for him to go. Except for one little problem. What he found at the temple when he got there was not a bunch of people who were worshiping the Lord out of a pureness and right of, rightness of heart, but he found a bunch of people that were going through the motions and just being religious. All right, so really not an ideal find for him in this situation. Now, the, the issue with that is that this five, 6,000-year-old problem that he's telling us about is probably still a problem today. No, it's not probably still a problem today. I promise you that on a Sunday morning inside the four walls of this church and every other one are people who are here just to go through the motions. They're here for religion. They're not here for relationship. They're not here trying to draw closer to God. I can't tell you why they're here, but I can promise you, having watched congregations worship now for some 28, 29 years, there's a ton of people in every church on Sunday morning that you just kind of wonder why. Honestly. All right? So here is what he has found. He has found a bunch of people who are, who are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, and they are going through the motions of being church members. Now, the interesting thing is he finally decided to look in the temple, which that's interesting because why? He, he, he built the temple. He, he was a part of the temple construction and, and, and seeing that come about. So it's interesting that he finally decided, not the courtroom, not the highway, not the palace, not the other places, but he finally decided to look in the temple for what was missing from his life. 
But now, honestly, he's just disappointed. He's just disappointed. And look, here's the, here again, I'm going to finish this statement with this. There's a lot of people today that go to church hoping to find a relationship with God, and what they find is a bunch of people that keep them from coming back to church. You ever heard, you ever heard somebody say, well, I'm not going back to that church. That church is just a bunch of hypocrites. What they mean by that is simple. They thought they were going to come and see a bunch of people who loved Jesus, and what they really saw was a bunch of people who didn't look like they were enjoying being here, and a bunch of people who were just going through the motions, and sometimes you see people in church bicker and argue and fuss and fight, and look, they can see that at work on a regular Monday morning without having to come to church. That's why, y'all, that's why it's so important and I'm not talking about being fake. I'm not talking about putting on a mask and, and hiding who you really are on a Sunday morning. But it's so important that when people walk through that door, they see genuine people who love the Lord and who, who want to be here for the right reason. And again, I'm not picking on Chapel Hill. I'm not calling Chapel. This is the, the church. Capital T, capital C. The church today is full of this issue. People going to church and, and trying to find something that's missing in their life, but they're just so turned off by what they find when they walk through the doors. They just quit. It's easier to stay home. It's, they, they, have to, they don't have to get up. They don't have to get dressed. They don't have to figure out what they're going to wear. They don't have to argue and fuss and fight with the kids to get them out the door and get them at the church on time. They don't have to do any of that. They can just stay home and... Right? So... What we see, what Solomon is telling us about today is a problem that I believe still probably exists in our society even today. So now I hope, I hope this helps you with two things as we get into our, our passage today. I hope this helps you with two things. The first one that I hope you see from this is that there are things inside the church that we have to take seriously. He's going to talk to us about three things this morning. He's going to talk to us about our offerings and y'all are going, oh good, a money talk. It ain't got nothing to do with money, y'all, okay? He's going to talk to us about our offerings. He's going to talk to us about our prayer life. And he's going to talk to us about the vows that we make before the Lord. So if nothing else, I hope you understand this morning that when you... And look, I'm preaching to the choir, right? Almost literally, I'm preaching to a group of people who are faithful enough to be here on a 45-degree Wednesday morning, all right? But we have to take this relationship, we have to take the ability to walk in these doors and to intercede and to meet with God seriously. So he's going to tell us these things today. The second thing I hope you understand, though, is when somebody tells you, well, I'm just not going back to that church, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. Maybe you'll understand where they're coming from. Maybe you'll be a little more sympathetic or empathetic to what it is they're trying to describe to you because I promise you, I assure you, you may not see it a lot on Sunday morning, but I promise you it's real in every... Look, you, you, you start all the way up at Northside and you go all the way down to First Tuscaloosa and every church between. There are, it's real on Sunday morning. I promise you. All right? So those are our goals to sort of learn those two things today. All right? So let's read our passage. We're going to again, Ecclesiastes 5, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 7 here this morning. All right, so he says that it's called your attitude toward God. And then he says this in verse 1, guard your steps as you go to the house of God. Draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know they are doing evil. 
Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool comes through many words. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for He takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin, and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. And he finishes this with three simple words. Rather, fear God. Alright? So, the first thing we want to look at real quick is this, this offering that we bring to God. Alright? So starting in verse 1, Solomon starts and he gives us some very good advice. He says, guard your steps as you go to the house of God. So if we just stop, we just put a period at the end of that sentence right there. That's great advice. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God. I've read several things lately. It's kind of cool now, these people who are putting out Instagram posts and Facebook thing, reels and that kind of stuff, trying to get people to like churches. And, and, you know, we've talked about that in here. It's just, kind of a, it's just kind of where we are in society. We have to kind of play that game a little bit. Um, it's important to put out those things that, to understand the best way to come to church on Sunday morning is ready. Right? The best way to come to church on Sunday morning is ready. But what that means is we take it seriously that we're going to the house of God. And look, I, I can tell you that if you, come into, if you come into church on Sunday morning or if you come in on Wednesday night and your mind is elsewhere and you're thinking about all those things that are going on out there in life, and look, I know we all have things going on in life, right? Not, nobody doesn't have something. Transmissions and, and, and sickness and, and other things that are going on in our life, it's very real. But now, you know, Shannon said something that was really true the other day. When you're in this room, you can't really affect those things. You can't really change those things. So when you walk in that door, look, if you're just coming to church and you're going to decide to get ready to worship when the music starts, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit can't work. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit can't draw you in. I'm not saying any of those things. But now, if you come to church and you drive up in the parking lot and you get here and you've already, you've already studied your Bible that morning, and you, you listen to some Christian music on the way to church, you, you, you've been praying for two or three days, Lord, I can't wait for Sunday. God, open my heart. Just teach me something. Show me something. I can't wait to be in Your presence Sunday morning. I can promise you, look, here's the thing. Me and Shannon don't even have to be good at our jobs on Sunday for you to get something out of it in that case. Why? Because it's not about us anyway, first and foremost. Right, But because you've come in with such a heart of expectation and a, and a heart of anticipation that at the first moment of anything that sounds awesome, you're just going to be drawn right in and you're going to be in a place of worship. We were joking the other day. Um, in, in my house, I've been doing this almost 30 years on Sunday mornings, getting up and going to church. And for 18 or 19 of those years now, we've had kids and 
most of you ladies especially know what Sunday morning is like with small kids. And, and some of you guys kind of know, but you don't understand. But here's the thing. I've never had to experience a Sunday morning what it takes to get my kids ready to go to church. I don't know. I don't, have, I don't know if it's hard. I don't know what it's like when they oversleep. I don't know what it's like when they're difficult. Because my dear wife, my precious wife, because I, you know most days I have to be here really early. And at other churches I've been there really early. Not because I was trying to avoid that, just trying to get ready. And I've watched her come in some days and worship her face off. And I've seen other days where she just seems so disconnected, tired, weary, worn down. And you, you guys understand that. But now we need to do everything that we can when we walk in these doors on Sunday to be ready to worship. Okay? And it affects. Now, he's going to talk to us about our offerings he says, uh, it's, he's, guard your steps as you go to the house of God. Draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Now, the sacrifice of fools he's talking about is, is people who give. Now, before we get to that sacrifice of fools, he says this, draw near to listen. All right, this is an important thing because he's going to say it again in a few minutes. The best thing that we can do at church is what? Listen. The best thing we can do when we're spending time in prayer, which we're going to talk about in just a minute, is listen. You've heard the old adage, right? you got two ears and one mouth, which means you're supposed to listen twice as much as you talk. I, I, I don't always have that figured out, just as a, as a moment of confession and, and transparency before you. But now it's an important instruction that he gives here that, that we are supposed to listen. We're supposed to guard our steps as we enter into, y'all really and truly, just the presence of the king, right? Now, I want you to think about this. If you were given an opportunity, and look, this is not a political statement. This is not a political statement. This is not a political statement, Okay. So just hear that. If you were given an opportunity, though, to have a meal, you've been invited to the White House to share a meal with the president. Or better yet, maybe you've been invited to Buckingham Palace in London, and you get to have a meal with the King of England. I understand. You may not agree with these people. I I wouldn't turn it down for nothing. That'd be so awesome and so exciting. Maybe I could even share a few things with them. But here's what you're going to do. You're absolutely going to prepare yourself. You're going to prepare your appearance. You're going to prepare what you're going to say. You're going to think through all the dumb things you don't want to say and all the right things you hope to say. And maybe he, you, you think he's going to ask you some questions and you, you're, going to, you're going to be ready. Yeah, you're, you're, you're going to be prepared. So why don't we do that on Sunday? Because really, Sunday is you've been invited, said it a minute ago, but you've been invited into the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who is far more important than any president, whether you like him or not. Far more important than any king, earthly king, whether you like him or not. But yet we treat Sunday morning oftentimes like, well, I'm just going to go today. I dare that guy with that guitar to sing a song that I know. I dare that preacher to bless me today. I just hope he can do it. And guess what? He's probably not going to. 
Because if you're looking for a, if you're looking for a blessing from me or him, you're looking for a blessing from the wrong place anyway. Guard your steps when you draw near to the house of God. Be sure to listen before you speak. And then he gets into this. It's better to listen than to offer the sacrifice of fools. He's talking about here this, this, this thinking that I can go to church and I can write a check and God's going to bless me for it. And look, God will bless you if you tithe. This is, it, it, this is the only thing I'm going to say about it. But if you tithe and you've tithed your whole life, you know that God provides for you and you know that God meets your needs. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the person who comes with the attitude that if I give this or if I do that, then God's going to take care of me. I read the story the other day preparing about a guy who, who had an invention and he wanted to make it big, right? So he decided for about five years he was going to go to church. And he finally told somebody one day, look, I've been coming to church, I've been tithing. I thought maybe if I came to church and I tithed for a while that God would bless me and this invention would really take off and it would be something. I thought maybe God would bless me because of that. Y'all, that, I'm almost going to say God's not going to bless that just out of spite, right? I, I, you know, because that's not the right attitude. I wrote three, three things down here in my notes. If you bring an offering out of obligation rather than worship, you're wrong. If you bring an offering to try to buy something from God, you're wrong. If you bring an offering to try to impress your neighbor or the person sitting next to you, you're wrong. It's a sacrifice of fools that he talks about. He calls it evil. He calls it evil. And so I want to finish this little section right here. I was reading Warren Wearsby this morning, and he said three things that I wrote down. He said, sacrifices are not substitutes for obedience. Your offering, your gift, your, your, your check that you write, your, your time that you give at the church because you're hoping somebody will clap for you or recognize you for what you've done, your sacrifices are not a replacement for obedience to what God wants you to do. The second thing he said this morning in the commentary, he said, offering in the hands without obedience in the heart becomes a sacrifice of fools. In other words, you can write the biggest check in the world, but if your heart's in the wrong place, he, he literally calls it what, what Solomon called it here, the sacrifice of fools. And the third thing that he says, the fool thinks that he or she is doing good, but God knows better. Our offerings to God. And look, and again, this is not a, this is not a money conversation. Because your offering to God can just simply be a, a, a time of worship on Sunday morning. Your offering to God can be time given serving the Lord. I'm not, I'm not talking about writing a $1,000 check or a $100 check or a $10 check. None of that's, I mean, that's part of it, but your offering to God is supposed to be a place of heart where you worship the Lord through whatever it is that you're giving back to Him. And he says, if you don't do it from that right place, if you're religious and going through the motions better than trying to be righteous and be in relationship with God, then you're going about things the wrong way. So the first thing he talks about there is offerings. The second thing in verses 2 and 3, he moves and he shifts to talking about prayer. He says, do not be hasty, verse 2, in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth Therefore, let your words be few. You know, if we think through Scripture, Scripture tells us a lot about prayer, doesn't it? 
Scripture tells us a lot about praying. He tells us that it affects things. It changes things. He tells us how we should do it, when we should do it, where we should do it. We know that our prayer should be as much as possible done in private. He tells us in the New Testament to to go into that inner room, to go into that closet and there make your prayers and petitions known to God. He opposites that with, he, he, he comes against that from another way and he basically says if you go and stand on a street corner and you try to sound like the world's best prayer, God's not going to hear that prayer. He says you're supposed to go in your you're supposed to go in your prayer closet. You're supposed to spend that time with God. We should never pray in such a way to try as to try to impress others. Listen, we should never brag to God about how great we're doing in life. Now there's a difference between thanking God for what he's given you and telling God how great you got it. How great you are, what you've accomplished, what you've done. The Bible tells us we're supposed to pray in all things, whether it be happy or sad, whether it be good or bad, we're supposed to pray in all things. And He tells us that we're to pray without ceasing. Scripture is very clear, y'all, on all the things that prayer is supposed to be. Now Solomon tells us a couple of things that it's not supposed to be. He says, don't be hasty. Don't be quick. Don't be impulsive. Probably is a better word there. When you come to pray. And he says that we should not be, and again, there's that word impulsive. Solomon's point here is don't be careless with your prayer life. Now, I would imagine what he saw when he walked into the temple and he begins observing things is he saw the same thing that we were just talking about ago that Jesus talked about. That guy who would stand up in front of the entire church and would pray and it would just be this most magnificent, wordy, Look at me kind of prayer ever. And look, I've heard people pray that way. I really have. And you're just kind of like, kind of makes you feel icky. You just kind of want to move over a few feet farther away from them because you're not real sure what's going to happen to them there in the next moment. Right? And then on the opposite side of that, guys, you've heard one of the most amazing things I ever saw in a church service this time was this person that stood up to pray. And they, they stood there for like five minutes. And I think they probably said five, six, seven words maybe. Just It just wouldn't come out. You knew they were broken. They were trying. They were doing everything. But now look, the Scripture's clear about that too. What, what was going on in the midst of that prayer? The Holy Spirit was interceding on their behalf to interpret before God what was in the heart of that human, that human being, that person, right? And look, while I, I didn't hear it, while I didn't necessarily understand all that was going on, while all I could figure out was whatever this is, it must be really big. God says, I'd, rather, I'd much rather have that happen than that person that thinks that they're just the world's best at everything. And Lord, listen to me. Here I go, Lord. I can't wait to tell you all that I've done. I mean, I mean, all that you've done for me. And it's just backwards. It's just backwards, right? He says, don't be hasty. Don't be, it should be serious. It should matter. It, you're speaking to God. You're speaking to the creator of the universe. Man, if you go before God and think that you're going to impress Him with your silly little vocabulary, however great it might be, He's the guy that created those words. He's not impressed. 
If you go to God and you think you're going to impress Him with the amount of money that you have or the car that you drive or all the blessings, the things that you've accomplished, let me tell you, you didn't do any of it without Him giving you the ability, the time, or the talent to do it. He's not going to be impressed. You know what's going to impress God? Lord, I'm broken. Lord, I'm humble. Lord, I just, Lord, I need you. Just this acknowledgement of, of who God is. And again, at the end of this verse, y'all, don't miss this. This is the second time that Solomon says this. He says it at the end of verse 2. God's in heaven and you are on earth. So doggone it, quit talking. Just listen. Again, you're, you're not out to impress God. You're, you're out to, to let Him bless you and, and to speak into your life and to, to guide you and to direct you and to challenge you in all the things that He wants you to do. And I promise you, you'll never hear those things when you're so busy talking to Him and telling Him all this other stuff. And y'all, that is the most convicting part of my prayer life, I think. I sat around thinking about this yesterday morning while I was reading through this. The most convicting part of my prayer, well, there's maybe the second most. The first is that it's not enough. The second most convicting part of my prayer life is that my prayers are so one-directional. I spend God telling Him my to-do list and my want list and my need list and all the things I wish He would do in my life, and then I'm like hanging up the phone and going about my business, and I don't give Him time to respond. Tell me what he wants to tell me. To say, hey, maybe I'm not going to answer that. Maybe I'm not doing that. Oh, we're missing out on such a blessing. There's a reason he tells us to take this time, to separate, to go off into our closet, to pray without ceasing. Praying without ceasing means sometimes you're listening. Because I promise you, if you pray without stopping, you're going to run out of words and you're just going to need to listen sometimes. The most convic- <laughs> Again, the second most convicting part of my prayer life is that. My prayers are so one-sided, one one direction. I'm sending up all of this information as if he doesn't already know, right? He already knows all of it anyway. But I'm telling him this, Lord, fix this. Lord, help me with this. Lord, strengthen me. God, help me to do this. Bless my family. Take care of my kids. Take care of Jennifer today. Keep my cars safe. In Jesus' name, amen. And I hang up the phone. And I think sometimes God's sitting there going, wait, wait, wait. I got something I want to say. Sorry, God, got to go to work. Right? How many things do we miss out on because we don't, we don't take this into consideration? God's in heaven, you're on earth, therefore let your words be few. He says in verse 3, and it's kind of an interesting verse, for the dream comes through much effort. That, that's, a, that's a translation, in other, in other translations it says, the one who works hard dreams. In other words, the one who works really hard is so tired at night, their sleep is so deep that they dream. Okay, That's, that's, the, that's the first part of that. The, the NASB there kind of doesn't do that justice for the dream comes through much effort. But now, he says, as that happens, right, the second part, the voice of a fool <laughs> through many words. The voice of a fool through many words. I, I, Jennifer and I have talked about this from time to time. I, this is going to shock you all, I know. Here I am with a microphone on today. If you talk for long enough into a microphone, 
you're going to say something you shouldn't have said. I know this is going to blow your mind, but I have said some pretty dumb things into a microphone over the course of 29 years. And the chances are real good I'm not done, right? I've probably got a few more left in me for the rest of my career, however long God has me doing this, right? As long as you stand up in front of somebody with a microphone, you're going to say something you shouldn't have said. I could tell you some stories, I promise you, right? How much better off if sometimes I just shut up? I just stop talking, right? Better, better to be quiet and let people think that you're a fool than to open your mouth and erase all doubt, right? <laughs> That's one of my, I love that quote because it's, man, it's absolutely true. If I never say anything, you're not, you're probably going to think, oh, he's really wise. He doesn't ever say anything. Could be, I'm just a real idiot. I'm just afraid to tell anybody, let anybody know, right? So that's a, that's a great point. All right, so the last thing we talk about here, we've talked about our offerings, we've talked about our prayer life, okay? The third thing he talks about is our vows. Now, the thought of making vows is a little bit different than the other two. God doesn't require vows. God, he wants you to pray, right? He wants you to bring offerings of praise and in actual offerings, Scripture is clear on what tithing should look like, right? So he, he requires those things, but now a vow is a little bit different thing. So I, I, my first instinct when I hear that word vow is that old um, foxhole conf- uh, confession, right? Where you, you, when you're in trouble, and Lord, if you'll just get me out of this right here, I'll spend the rest of my life serving you, right? And those, 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 those are real, that's a, that's a real promise, and oftentimes what happens is that person is, is relieved, they get out, they go on and live long, prosperous lives, but they never think back on that moment because it really was words, not something they meant. Lord, if you'll get me out of this, Lord, if you'll save my, get me out, don't let this car repair be so expensive, God, I'll give you all the money I got. And then when it's all said and done, we just get back to our life and we forget all about it. All right? So the, the difference in this and the other two is a vow is not necessarily required from God, all right? And again, the two things he's talking about here is the person who makes a vow of God with no intention of keeping it, and the person who makes a vow to God and delays returning that answer in hopes, and I just wrote down in my notes, and this is so silly to even say, but almost in hopes that God would forget, right? Right? If you just wait and wait and wait, maybe, God, maybe the Lord is up there and he's, he's just got so many other things to worry about today. He's going to forget that I said, Lord, if you'll get me out of this, I'll give you $100. You know, he's going to forget. As if the Lord ever forgets anything, right? Okay? So that's sort of what he's talking about here in this passage. Now, Solomon tells us, in fact, that it is better to never make a vow to God than it is to make one and to break it. He says in verse, verse 4, When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for He takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. And then He says in verse 5, It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. And then He finishes, He says in verse 6, Don't let your speech cause you to sin, and don't, do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Do not let your speech cause you to sin. You see, it's all kind of a continuation. It's really all the same thing. You know, the last two times he's told us, 
Sometimes it's better off to not say anything and just get out of the way. And sometimes we, God's in heaven and you're on earth, so let your words be few. And now for the third time in this passage, now he says, don't let your, don't let your mouth get you in trouble. In modern vernacular, don't let your mouth write checks that you can't cash. Right? So he says this here, don't let your mouth get you in to trouble. Solomon says it's better to make, never make a vow than to do so and not fulfill it. But now here's the thing, God doesn't forget. God doesn't forget. God hears and He holds us accountable for our relationship with Him. Not just vows, but our entire relationship. He holds us accountable. If you've ever felt that nudge when you weren't doing something you were supposed to do or when you were doing something you weren't supposed to do. That's God through the power of the Holy Spirit saying, back in line, back in line, back over here. Do what you're supposed to be doing, right? And so now, when He hears us say, Lord, I'll do this, Lord, I'll do that, and we don't do it, then it's a problem in our relationship with Him. But now here's where this comes from. A lot of people practice a make-believe religion. What are you talking about? Why Why would people make a vow and not keep it to God? Because they're not serious about their relationship with Him. Because they're back to where we started uh, 35 minutes ago with I'm just going to show up and go through the motions. Their relationship with God is not serious enough. They have not guarded their steps when they drew near to the house of the Lord. They, they don't revere God. They don't fear God. They don't respect God. So in their minds, if I just say these words, there's no obligation because my religion, my, my faith is not real anyway. I'm just going through the motions. Call it a make-believe religion. It's just just motions, just what I'm doing. It's just I'm going through that. They, pro- they practice their religion in word, but not in deed. Their worship isn't serious, so their words aren't dependable at the end of the day. Now, turn real quick to Acts chapter 5. We're going to finish in Acts chapter 5 today. And we want to look at probably one of the most glaring instances in all of Scripture of what happens when you promise to do something and you lie to God about it? Right? Y'all are, y'all are getting there and y'all are starting to figure out where we're going now, right? Who we're talking about. In, that, in Acts chapter 5, I just want to read through this. We're talking about Ananias and Sapphira. All right? Famously known for selling some land promising to give it to the church, but then withholding some for themselves. And really and truly, they just lied about it. They just said, yeah, this is all we made. Here, you can have it. But really what they were doing is they were, they were pocketing the rest. All right, so let's read it. But a man named Ananias, this is verse 1, with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. See, I told you that's what was happening, right? And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. So the problem there is they sold this land, they kept some back for themselves, and they, that, that part, and bringing a portion of it. All right? But Peter said, verse 3, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. 
Now, verse 5 is pretty serious. Okay, if you ever wondered. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. <laughs> and probably a huge understatement is that next line. And great fear came over all who heard it. Don't you think? <laughs> Might have even been somebody that reached into the back pocket and went back to the offering plate. I, I forgot that 20. My bad. My bad, Lord. I'm sorry. I meant to give it. All right. Now, verse 6, the young men got up and they covered him up. And after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours and, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. She doesn't know yet that her husband is dead because he lied to the Holy Spirit. And Peter responded to her, tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yep, that was it. That's exactly what we did, Peter. Then Peter said to her, why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have, listen, who have buried your husband are at the door. Why? Because they're going to take her out too. And they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Again, verse 11, and great fear came over the whole church. More people started grabbing money out of their pockets and taking it to the offering plate and in that moment, afraid that what was about to happen to them, right? At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord, <laughs> now more than ever, in, in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared to associate with them, however the people held them in high esteem. Y'all, that's... That is, look, we, we think we're going to fool the Lord. I promise you, look, you're, the Lord knows what your paycheck is. Some of your own fixed incomes, the Lord knows what your check is that comes on the third of every month. The Lord knows what my paycheck is. The Lord knows what Jennifer's paycheck is. The Lord knows if I say I'm going to do something and I don't do it. Look, let's be honest. This again, we can make this not about money. The Lord knows if you said you were going to teach Sunday school somewhere along the way, but you've tried to get out of it for years. The Lord knows if you said you're going to, you're going to serve on a committee, but every time they ask, you, you, prayed it, you prayed about it, but decided not to do it. You don't have any secrets from God. You're not hiding anything from Him. You can't go in your closet where He can't see you and decide you're going to do things and not tell him. It's not how it works. Now, I'm also not telling you that if you don't do something, he's probably going to strike you dead tomorrow. I'm not tell I, he did that in Scripture. I'm not telling you that's going to happen. But I, I have worked. I have worked with a pastor who honestly, his, his testimony, his father died in a car wreck. He was an alcoholic. He honestly believes that the Lord took his father home because he, he quit doing the things he told God he would do. That's not up to me to decide. I'm not here to be the Holy Spirit. But he believed that his dad was, was faithful in church and then the farther he got away. And then one day the Lord just, he thinks, took him home. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm also not saying, you know, if you didn't do something today, he's going, he, you're not going to make it home today. I'm not saying that. Okay. You have to be faithful to what God calls you to do. He finishes, he, he finishes back to Ecclesiastes 5. He finishes this section in verse 7. He says this, For in many dreams 
and in many words there is emptiness. And how does, how, does, how does Solomon finish this little passage right here? Rather, fear God. At the end of the day, y'all, here's the thing. Our relationship with God is a serious thing. Our interactions with God should be taken seriously. Our interactions with God, we're talking about those, those opportunities we get to serve Him. Those interactions with God, we're talking about those opportunities we have to talk to Him. And those interactions with God is when we promise God we're going to do something, we have to, we have to be serious about it. Look, if I tell one of you I'm going to do something and I don't, I don't do it, your trust in me begins to shift. It begins to fade. It begins to, to go away. And look, if you promise God you're going to do something, don't you think the same thing happens? He begins to go, well, I, I, you know, I thought I had a lot of faith in, in James, but James just didn't. He wants, he hopes, he prays that next time it'll be different. He, he's up there trying to, trying to, to urge us and to, to guide us on in, in our lives, but y'all, sometimes we're just not faithful. Sometimes we just fall short of that obedience that he wants from us. And I'm going to finish with this. Have you ever been involved in a relationship? Maybe it was a, in your younger years, maybe it was a dating relationship, maybe it was a friendship somewhere along the way where you felt like you were putting in a ton of effort and the other person wasn't. Like you, you, you wanted to be friends with this person or you, you wanted to date this guy and you wanted that relationship to work and he didn't work it out or, or guys the other way around. You, you thought this was the one and you wanted it. You, you, were, you were knocking yourself out trying to make it happen and the other person's just like, meh. That doesn't really make for a very successful relationship, does it? It just doesn't. Yet we try to have a relationship with God in often the same way. Because he's given everything. He's all in. There's nothing that he hasn't done to have a relationship with you. There's nothing he's not going to do. He's, he's already literally done the absolute most that he can possibly do by sending his only son, his very one, the only one that he ever had, Jesus to die at the painful, agonizing terrorizing, suffering death on the cross, but He did that so that He can have a relationship with me and you. And we just... Perhaps that's that. We don't understand that He's really God. My, I, I tend to lean more that we understand it. We know it. I think we're so... I hate to use the word immune to it. We're, we're, we're just... We've been in a relationship with God so long... You know, we did this marriage conference this past weekend. And obviously at a marriage conference, you talk about the physical relationship inside of marriage, right? And when, you're, when, you're, when you first start dating, you can't stop holding hands and you just want to smooch all the time. And when you first get married, you, all the time, right? And the, but the longer you get married, the longer you stay married, the, the physical aspect of the relationship has a tendency to kind of diminish and kind of wane. And, and the, the whole point of that was how do we get back to... I can't keep my hands off of each other, right? How do we get back to that? That's normal. That's important in a relationship, okay? But how do we get back to, in our relationship with God, the way we were when it first started? You have to be intentional. It has to be on purpose. Nothing happens by accident. Nothing happens in our relationship with each other or with God by accident. You are not going to grow closer to God by doing nothing. 
It's not going to soak in. You can't put your Bible under your pillow and sleep on it. And it's just going to soak in. That's not how it works. Right. Right. No. Nothing just happens. There's no, no coincidences. No, no happenstance. No, oh, I didn't see that coming. I mean, I, God's in all of it. Reading the Word, praying, absolutely. And I, and I would add a third. Your worship inside the walls of this building. I'm not saying you can't worship outside, but doggone it. Scripture's pretty clear. We're supposed to go to church, and we're supposed to be a part of the body of Christ. We're supposed to be working together, serving with one another, wherever He plants you, whether it's at Chapel Hill or Five Points or Christ Harbor or Northport or First Tuscaloosa or Valley View. It doesn't matter where He plants you. I mean, it does matter, but... It, Wherever He plants you, you're supposed to be a part of that body. Just without, without fail. I just think back to that, 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 that revelation, you, you've forgotten your first love. That's what I keep thinking about standing here for the last couple of minutes through this. We've got to get back to the point where our relationship with Him is fresh. And the best way for it to be fresh is to work at maintaining it. And that requires prayer. That requires Scripture. That requires going to church. It, it just requires those things, y'all. It just does. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to what God had to say to us. If you have any questions about today's Bible study, you can call our church office at 205-339-4071, and we will be glad to answer any questions you might have. God bless you, and we hope to see you again next week.